0: Welcome back to another episode of City of Desert. I'm Father David. And as you know, over these past months, we've been reading through the Philokalia, in particular the specialized volume called Writings on Prayer of the Heart, and we've been considering in particular the text of St. Hezekiah of Jerusalem on sobriety and prayer, and we're, we're currently come to the, coming uh, very close to the end of these texts, and Hezekiah is speaking about the essential elements of the spiritual battle, uh, sobriety, and the invocation of the name of Jesus. And today, in this episode, we'll continue to speak of some of these elements, but he also uh, paints, again for us, uh, the portrait of a ruined or wrecked soul, uh, one who does not embrace this kind of sobriety and what takes place within their life, Uh, but also the experience of one who has really engaged in the battle, who has learned and has been taught through experience, Uh, and the great light that they begin to experience through their union and communion with God. And so it should be a very interesting episode for us. We're picking up today with paragraph 160 on page 312 of the text, if you're following along. Hezekiah begins by saying, A man's life goes forward in a procession of years, months, weeks, days and nights, hours and minutes. Along with them, we too should go forward towards perfection to our very end with our virtuous deeds. I mean sobriety, prayer, sweetness of heart, and a never-abating silence. And so as we make our way through life, We should be uh, ever increasing our our asceticism in the sense of ever ever, uh, moving forward to greater and greater perfection in the sobriety and the uh, purity of heart that we seek. That our life is not to be uh, sedentary. There is no moment in the spiritual life when we stop striving to, as it were, enter by the the narrow way or through the narrow door. In paragraph 161, he begins to discuss the, the, the nature of ruined souls, those perhaps who have not practiced this. One day the hour of death will come upon us, come at will, for no one can avoid it. O may the prince of the power of the air of this world come then, and find our trespasses small and insignificant, and may he be unable to accuse us with justice, or else our tears will come, but then be of no avail. For the Lord says, At that servant which he knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes." And so in 162, he says, Woe to those who have ruined their hearts. What shall I do when the Lord shall visit them? Let us strive harder, brethren, in the work of the heart. And so when this life ends, the cleansing of tears, that is, uh, of repentance, uh, is no longer of avail to us that uh, we have lived our lives, we, we know we head towards that particular end, which is our God, and once we pass through their, this life, there is no longer the possibility for repentance. And this adds a kind of weight uh, and importance to our earthly life, that uh, we can never waste, as it were, one moment uh, of our lives without being attentive to God and our salvation. He continues to to tell us in paragraph 163 about the importance of experience in this battle, that ever striving for perfection uh, also teaches us, and it teaches us through our experience of the struggle. He says, simple and passionless thoughts are followed by passionate ones, and we have ascertained by long experience and observation and the first serve as a door to the second, the passionless to the passionate. And so at, at, at first, passionless thoughts, those that seem benign to us, will come upon us. And we cannot be fooled by this, that even those thoughts that are benign can initially be a distraction, but eventually, eventually or ultimately become passionate thoughts, those that draw us deeper and deeper down into sin. Uh, he goes on to say, Indeed, a man must cleave himself in two by his will, must rend himself by wise thought, must truly become the most implacable enemy to himself. Might seem to be a strong s- statement, especially in our day where self esteem is so valued. We are to have. Uh, an honest and one might say severe uh, image of ourselves according to the Fathers. Not a self-hatred uh, that would be arise out of uh, a kind of psychological neuroses, but uh, rather a, an honest and realistic view of our circumstances, the, having been weakened by our sin and how easily we are seduced into sin. And so we must, as it were, he tells us, Uh, rend ourselves in two, and become uh, almost an enemy to ourselves. We know that the battle uh, rages within our own hearts and our mind, and it will be as if we are fighting ourselves, and it is this fight uh, that we must be willing to engage in. If we wish to fulfill the first and greatest commandment, that is, blessed humility, which is life in Christ, divine existence incarnate. We must have the same or even a worse attitude towards ourselves as we have towards a man who has mortally offended and insulted us. Therefore the apostle says, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? For it is not subject to the law of God, showing that to make the body subject to the will of God is one of the tasks laid upon us, he said. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. And so if we do see ourselves with a kind of clarity, uh, we often should see ourselves as uh, we would see someone who has insulted us or abused us, that we often will inflict wounds upon ourselves simply through our embrace of passionate thoughts. And so we must be ever engaged, once again, in this warfare with with our own selves and with our own thoughts. In 165, he begins to describe the, the beginnings of sobriety and what they look for a soul, look like for a soul. He says, the beginning of the fruit bearing is the flower. But the beginning of sobriety of mind is abstinence in food and drink, renunciation and cutting off all thoughts and silence of the heart. So restraining our appetites through fasting, beginning to control our bodily desires, then a willingness to cut off the thoughts, to be mindful, sober, and then finally uh, establishing a kind of silence of heart, choosing silence, uh, fostering silence and solitude in our lives so that we might be able to engage in this battle with a greater clarity of mind. And as we do this, Hezekiah tells us, God gives us greater and greater light. We begin to see that fruit of the spiritual spiritual battle. He writes in paragraph 166, When empowered by Jesus Christ, we begin to press forward and firmly establish sobriety. Then first there appears in our mind a lamp, as it were, which the hand of our mind holds aloft to guide our mental steps. Thereafter comes a full moon circling in the sky of the heart, and at last, like the sun, comes Jesus, radiant with truth like the sun, that is both revealing himself and illumining contemplation with his brilliant rays. So the the more the heart is purified, the the more Christ comes to dwell within us, and so the greater the light that we begin to experience within us as well, the more we begin to be able to contemplate the very mystery of God. I think you can understand then why the fathers uh, emphasize how vigilant we must be in this struggle. Uh, to begin to experience the presence and the light of Christ within us is such an extraordinary gift. And in the paragraphs come, Hezekiah warns us that the, the demons will seek to bring it to ruin and will uh, seek to bring us to shipwreck if they can. And so in paragraph 167, he continues along the same line of thought we've been considering. He writes, These things he mysteriously reveals to a mind, keeping with constant zeal his commandment which says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart. Yea, marvelous are the truths which diligent sobriety teaches a man. God is no respecter of persons. Therefore the Lord says, For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance." But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God. How much more do so these virtues, sobriety and prayer, work together in this? And so the the more we engage in this battle, the greater and greater the, the gifts God gives to us. We are filled with abundance the more we give of ourselves uh, over to to this struggle. Uh, Whereas if we don't engage in the struggle, we'll fall into greater and greater darkness. And of this Hezekiah leaves, leaves no doubt in the coming paragraphs. He writes in 168, a ship will not move forward without water. A man in no way will succeed in guarding his mind without sobriety humility, and prayer to Jesus Christ. And so we become quite quite literally shipwrecked without having fostered the the things that we've spoken of, sobriety, humility, and prayer to Jesus Christ. Uh, This is the water that, that moves us along to everlasting life. In 169, he continues by saying, The foundations of a house are stones. The foundation of this virtue that is guarding the mind and its roof is the holy and worshipful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A foolish navigator who dismisses his sailors, throws the sails and oars overboard and lies down to sleep, will soon suffer shipwreck in the storm. Still more easily will a soul suffer shipwreck from the demons if when suggestions assail it. It neglects sobriety and invocation of the name of Jesus Christ. And so if we were not to engage in these practices, if we were not to allow experiences to teach us as the Desert Fathers have taught, then it would be akin to throwing over the sails uh, in a ship or throwing the oars overboard. We would be left, as it were, rudderless, with incapacity to move, other than to be driven against the rocks and destroyed. And so again, the words of the fathers add uh, a kind of weight to our day-to-day life and how we live it, that this relationship with Christ and this battle with our thoughts is not something that can be neglected or taken lightly. In paragraph 170, he goes on to say, What we know we pass on by writings, and what we have seen on our journey we testify to those who wish to accept our words. So the fathers write for those who desire what they desire, and their writings will be understood by those who, who share their desire. The Lord himself speaks of this, saying, He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. As it is impossible for the sun to shine without light, so it is impossible for the heart to be cleansed of the filth of wicked thoughts without prayer in the name of Jesus. If this is true, as I've seen by experience, let us utter this name as often as we breathe. For it is light, and those others, that is, wicked thoughts, are darkness. And he, the Jesus we invoke, is God and Almighty Lord, whereas the others are servants of the demons. And so it is our eternal destiny that we are working out. And God has given us the the greatest gift. He's given us his Son, But he's also given us great power, even in the use of his name and its invocation. It must become our breathing. This must become the task with which we are consumed in our day-to-day life, for it is our salvation. That brings us to the end of this episode of City of Desert. Again, I thank you for joining us as always. And if you have any questions or any comments Uh, about this episode or any of them, please feel free to email and we'll try to respond to you as soon as we can. Thank you and I look forward to seeing you soon.